So I had to do a bit of haggling with a fella halfway down the queue. Managed to get a ticket off him. Kenny so. Cunningham had to do a bit of haggling to get into Yeah, a bit of haggling, yeah, yeah. You're listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill. Welcome to the House of Football with Sports Joe and William Hill. I am flying solo in the host seat this week, but I'm not flying solo in the studio because I'm joined by one of Ireland's most consistent and decorated defenders, the most dependable footballer on the pitch, and one of Ireland's most respected and most loved pundits. It is the wonderful Mr. Kenneth Edward Cunningham. Kenny Cunningham. Consistent. You can only get better after that. <laughs> Consistently poor level of performance. No, is that no, what no, 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 no. You can no, read no. into that what you want. You can read into that what you, you want. You are Mr. Consistency. All them years yeah, you play for yeah, him. Yeah. When I knew Kenny Honeyham was in the ten. Five, six out ten. Never. Every never time at least a seven. At least a seven every time. <laughs> at least a seven. And, and at one point, and I will say it, Steve Bruce called you the best defender in the Premier League. Uh, during that season a weak moment a weak yeah. moment on his part, <laughs> on his part. <laughs> uh, and, and you're being incredibly humble Kenny but it's it's fantastic to have you on the show you're, uh, yeah. uh, welcome to the show yeah happy to be here yeah, happy good, to be good. here uh, so we want to tap into your knowledge your vast knowledge of all things uh, football we a short out. interview then Harry <laughs> <laughs> that'll be 10 minutes max we'll be out here yeah, so all that knowledge can be written on the back of a postage stamp that kind of thing is it <laughs> yeah. no not at all Look, but first things first uh, uh, before we uh, like it's been done to death because it happened last week uh, the game against France, um, it was a decent performance. Uh, Stephen Kenny is still the manager. Um, he's divided a lot of the the, the, the footballing uh, fraternity in Ireland. Some are pro Kenny, some are anti Kenny. Where, where do you sit? Where, where do you sit I'm, in relation to that? Eddie? I'm very pro Stephen Kenny. <laughs> Genuinely, I am Kenny. I think I think he's he's what he's trying to do is very noble. Some people might think it's a bit too much of a stretch for him to be playing an expansive game of football yeah. given the, the players that he has at his disposal but I still think his intentions are pure and yeah. I think he's going about it in the right way and it'll be interesting to see what your uh, feelings are about the Kenny reign so yeah. far Yeah, I think that's a fair point it's not an easy thing what he's uh, trying to do and playing that more open expansive uh, type of football and you're right you've got to be uh, realistic in terms of the individual qualities of the players that you have at your disposal in terms of what you're asking him uh, to do well, yeah, no, I think your point's a fair one. When you're trying to make that kind of transition, which Stephen has done with the uh, with the team in terms of their playing style, yeah, a degree of patience is required. But to be fair, I think he's probably had that from the general kind of footballing yep. public and the association in particular. I mean, you probably know better than me how long Stephen's been in the job. Time uh, travels fast, probably two, three two years, years now. Three years two, now. Yeah. yeah, two, three years now. So I think we always felt maybe this qualifying campaign would be a good kind of barometer in terms of where we are had a lot of time with the squad, integrated a lot of young players uh, into the squad during that time as well. That's very exciting. Some really talented young players. So pulling all that together, finding the right balance, kind of tactical setup as well, with that kind of football and philosophy you're talking about. And that's different, I think, Eric, a kind of, kind of philosophy in terms of how you want the team to play, but also the tactical setup. You know, they've got to complement each other as well. So, yeah, it was interesting, the game against uh, France, because we didn't have the opportunity maybe to play that open, expansive type of football uh, that you were talking about. That didn't bother me, to be honest, which I always felt if we were going to beat France, it was always going to be off the back of a really solid defensive uh, structure and maybe an effective counter-attacking game. I always felt that's the way we were going to beat this French team. Never going to be able to take the ball off them for long periods with the with the quality which they have. So that's kind of how it panned out. Uh, I suppose a small little, small frustration, not so much disappointment is that we couldn't maybe create, get enough sustained pressure on their goal and create enough opportunities during the course of 90 minutes. I thought uh, defensively we were fantastic. The organisation was great. Um, I was hoping, 
one mistake really cost us the game, and it's probably down to the fact that Stephen Kenny wants us to play football. But we should be should be playing football in those areas, kind of thing. Like you know, yeah, nothing wrong with playing. He's just decision making has got to be right, uh, and that's not easy to do. And that's an easy thing to say on the edge of your box. Just make the right decision in terms of your passing. But you know, when the pressure comes on, and in the back of your mind, you know, Josh Cullen receives that ball. He doesn't want to play it back to front too early. He knows he's only got he's only got one target up the pitch. I mean, I was a little bit surprised. I felt we were going to play with the two centre-forwards myself in a narrow midfield three. We didn't do that. We dropped uh, Ogbené right side of a midfield four and played with Ferguson as a lone striker. And that made it difficult for me to play that kind of quick counter-attacking game because when you win the ball back deep early and you look up the pitch, far better as a defender. I know this when you see two targets up the, pit to hit, uh, up the pitch to You've hit. you got options. Yeah, rather yeah. than one, that one yeah. striker who's surrounded invariably by two opposition defenders. So in that situation, if the quick ball up to the front striker isn't on, you've got to play your way up the pitch. And that's not easy. So I think Josh was doing the right, right thing. If he looked up the pitch, that ball to Evan Ferguson wasn't on. Well, where's my next pass? Yeah. And I think there was passes on. Just wasn't on the same wavelength. Jason, I think it was spinning in behind to look to have the ball over the top so just a lack of communication and just decision making in that split and Pavard uh, just read it us. yeah and he read it and, and he read it so yeah so I wouldn't be overly critical of Josh Cullen why isn't he kicking the ball up the pitch because like you say it's, we, we don't kick the ball up yeah. the pitch now the manager encourages the players uh, to play the ball uh, from back to front you know slowly short maybe passes as well so yeah it costs us but I think generally speaking defensive structure was absolutely great, uh, great. but because we were very mindful of the French and we played in the system that we did. I think we found it very difficult to get up the pitch, to get from back to front quickly with that lone strike and get a foothold in their half and kind of build pressure on their penalty box. So I don't know if you, you can't remember like a two, three, four minute period during the game where we had them penned in yeah. in their penalty box, maybe late on. There's a couple of corners, I suppose. Yeah, there? yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. A couple of balls down the side for us had Ogbeni 1v1 against Hernandez, who defended like poorly all even gave us some cheap free kicks, corners, got some crosses. Uh, kind of into the box. So, but that was it. But in terms of general play, building our way up the pitch and getting sustained pressure, that we found that difficulty. So we gained in some respect in terms of the tactical setup for me from our defensive structure, but we kind of suffered a little bit because of that in terms of maybe being able to get up the pitch and create chances. But I totally understand how the manager set up the team. Um, I was impressed with it. And just like everybody else, I suppose, a little bit kind of frustrated we didn't manage to get a point from the game. I think we had a score delay on Eric the header from uh, Nathan Collins. I think we could have argued with some justification. We'd earned it. Yeah. Maybe the point over the course of 90 minutes. But that said, having uh, not scored and having lost the game 1-0, probably a bit of a stretch as well to say that we was robbed yeah. having lost the game 1-0. So that's kind of where we were during the course of the game. So, yeah, learn from it and move on. Hopefully better, better days ahead. So that's uh, that's that's Stephen. Stephen Kenny, of course, obviously came from a League of Ireland background. And uh, Kenny, you, you've been involved in the in punditry with the League of Ireland. You were on uh, CoCom's duty there for the uh, Shelbourne Derry game on Friday night. I'm just interested to get your uh, your opinion, your views on the league as a whole and how you've seen it over the last few years. Can you, you do you see the 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 standard has improved? There's great potential in the league. What what what's your what's your views on the whole league as a whole? Yeah, well, I've always enjoyed the league. I've always kind of uh, followed it from a distance and actively gone and watched games since I finished re- finished playing. 15 years ago, I think I'm out of the game. And most of my work's been in Dublin since then. So anytime I'm in Dublin uh, over the years, I've always taken a game if I could. But mentioned before we came on in there, probably the last, I'd say, five years is probably as much League of Ireland football as I've watched. To be honest with you, it's probably the last couple of years, probably the only live football right. uh, that I watch. A bit of work that I do with the Premiership, etc. Yeah. And, and wherever else. Generally, you're talking kind of studio work. I'm watching the game in the box. In terms of live football, 
probably the League of Ireland is the, is the most football that I watch and I enjoy it. I enjoy the whole aspect of it, funnily enough. Being in Dublin predominantly is where I watch my football, but getting out to the game, you probably know what it's like. You, yeah. you, you, Bowles, am I allowed to yeah, yeah, say yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so for me, probably Tolka Park, uh, Daly Mount, uh, Richmond Park, probably any of those uh, three for me is gettable. Jump on the bus or whatever I make or make me way. So it's just going to the game, isn't it? It's just getting there a little bit early, a bit of a buzz outside, getting into your seats. The whole, it's more of an occasion thing, yeah. isn't it? And probably this year more so than any Eric, in terms of crowds, it's been noticeable. It caught me by surprise a little bit. Yeah. Headed down to, it was Richmond Park in the season, the uh, Shells game, actually. Just oh, yeah. Pe- yeah, just poodled down as I normally would have rocked up to get, you know, into the uh, shed down the size there, you know, hand over your cash and get your ticket in. Fella laughed at me, like, yeah, sold out. <laughs> so I had to do a bit of haggling with a fella halfway down the queue. Managed to get a ticket off him. Kenny so. Cunningham had to do a bit of haggling to get into yeah, Richmond Park. Yeah, a bit of haggling. Yeah, yeah. Twelve euro, not bad, not bad. <laughs> Seventeen euro That's ticket for bargain, twelve. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Your man wasn't budging. Your man wasn't budging. I started off at eight. I give you eight euro for that ticket. <laughs> I ended up at 12, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, so that was that's caught me by surprise. And going in there to Richmond, great atmosphere. Always is Richmond, a good crowd in there, a bit of a buzz. So yeah, that's how the league's begun everywhere, isn't it? Daily Mount Park, as you'd know, uh, Tolka Park. I've been there, even actually down to Sligo uh, a few weeks ago for Sligo in Cork. And that was a great buzz down there, to yeah. be honest with you. It's a real football town, Sligo. Yeah, people have said that to me, Eric. And I've been there for a long time. I've heard a lot of that, you know yeah. what I mean? It's a football town. They really come out, yeah. buzz. But until you experience it, and again, it, it, the same, heading down to the game, felt as if everybody was coming out. Yeah. And, yeah. You know what I mean? That yeah. type of thing, heading for the flood. Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams, you know what it's like, the floodlights. Everybody coming in, there, build it and they will come. It was a kind of a sense of that in Sligo, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, so all of that's going on at the moment, and that's great, because the conversation not too long ago, League of Ireland, uh, how do we make it more attractive yeah. for people? How, how are we going to get the numbers in? Mm-hmm. Well, it's happened, isn't it, almost organically, because we haven't built all the stadiums in the last kind of five years. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that's, that's on its lacking. way. I think that's the next step, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You'll know better than most daily men. They need to get that sorted out. That looks fantastic, some of the chit-chat up there, in terms of what they're looking to do up there, the, the new build. Terrace areas behind the goal yeah. they're talking about, Eric. That could be absolutely standalone. Yeah. That could be phenomenal. Nine, ten thousand. Well, it's a, it's an eight thousand seater stadium that they have, uh, a, a, like a bowl, yeah. a, 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 a daily bowl kind of thing, like you know. And uh, it's going to be a community facility, the Irish Football Museum, and a plaza and all. It's going to be a, a, a facility for the community, and I think that's what bowls and a lot of League of Ireland clubs are getting very good at is going into the community and arousing that local interest. And as you say. Uh, when, a league, when a League of Ireland match night comes around, it's a real community occasion. You see yeah. people coming from all angles. And what I love about the League of Ireland at the moment is I've seen younger and younger people going to the games. It's not all a Premier League. It's it's yeah. families are starting to go. So ideally, we would, uh, in, in the perfect in the perfect scenario, we'd have the facilities to to, yeah. to accommodate these people. But it's encouraging so far. Yeah, you I know? agree with you. Yeah, hopefully that'll come. Big plan. Yeah, other clubs as well. There's issues at Talcott and Shelves in terms of ownership and that whole seat are coming on board there. Maybe a bit of investment coming in there. I think Pats are in good shape, good ownership there as well. There's plans there as well. So I think that's yeah. exciting going for. But ultimately, it's all about what's, what you're watching, the spectacle yeah. on the pitch as well. So I'm always encouraged by that. And the one thing, this, the standout thing for me, League of Ireland, has always been young talent. Yes. You know, young players uh, in the league. I've always heard people, oh, the level of football, this and that. But for me, I've always said, yeah, but. There's always been a but for me. Some of the young kids like playing out there, absolutely phenomenal. And we see them year in, year, year out. Keep churning them out. The uh, systems now, the football clubs, academy systems, players coming through. The League of Ireland clubs getting hold of them at a younger age. Maybe you could argue 
better coach and one-to-one coach and developing them earlier. Now, there's still an issue, obviously, jumping across the water. Yeah. And when I say the water, I don't necessarily mean to <laughs> jump across the, the water to France yeah. now and a number of other countries in, in Europe, Italy, a number of players were playing over there. Great for them, you could argue, the development. Bit sad. Yeah. In a way, in, in terms of the league, even like your club is probably a great example of opposed to players uh, that you've lost over the past couple of years. But that's that's part and parcel. We have to kind of suck that up. But I think younger players now have to give it a lot. I think they're giving a lot more thought. I think the opportunity to move abroad a couple of years ago, Eric, was a given. Somebody yeah. came in for you, Div 1, Div 2, England, I'm off. Gone. It's not even a decision to be made. Yeah. But you look at the, the level now, the standard now League of Ireland football. It's a competitive level, particularly this year in terms of the top three, four, uh, five teams and the carrot of like European football now. Yeah. I say it to people, I'd even say it to young players, be ca- have a think about this. I mean, the opportunity to play on the European stage, which a lot of League of Honor players are getting now, Pats, Rovers, predominant. I know it's all the top teams, you've got to get into that top, top four bracket. But it's phenomenal. You might never experience that again. You head over Div 1, Div 2 in England. You know, that, that's a write-off. I never played European. I played it's kind good. of Premier League football. It's interesting him. you should say that, Kenny. Last week we had uh, Damien Delaney and Ian Carrot on the show. And Ian was talking about, you know, he said he was he, he looked back at his career. He's no regrets. He played Premier League football, Champions League yeah. football. And, and he ticked a few boxes. And Damien came in and said, I've nearly ticked all those boxes. But he only ticked that last box the Champions League box when I moved back to the League of Ireland and play for Cork City. Yeah. So there you go. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? It's, it's, uh, mate, I don't think you should <laughs> underestimate that. Yeah, it's not difficult. Yeah, it hurt you at that great Leeds team, of course, when they were a lovely team. Yeah, yeah but obviously I, I didn't play at that level, so the opportunity never... No, he only played in World Cups, Kenny. He only played in World Cups. Yeah, you played in an Anglo-Italian Cup game which stuck around for about two years in the early years over in England. Nobody remembers that. People scratch their heads when I mentioned the Anglo-Italian. Well, there's a box not many people have That's a stretch now, European competition. But um, Uh, yeah, so no, but in in terms of your point, Lee Orland, I think it's in a great place. It was just a case of kind of grasping the net a little bit and kind of building on it. But yeah, yeah, no, it's great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and no, uh, more of the same between now and the end of the season. I think it's going to be a great title race. So, right, we move on to uh, we move on to things across the channel, the English Channel, the Premier League. It's uh, it's all kicking off over there. Um, we don't know which manager's getting sacked today. Uh, does like been too high profile? Hag, is it? <laughs> no. we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll come to him, Kenny. We will come to him. With, we will come to him. But before we even begin the Premier League, I think we need to give a special nod to what I thought, thought was the best goal I've seen uh, this season. And uh, our own Kenny McCabe's uh, goal for Arsenal against uh, Man City on Sunday in the top of the table clash in the in the in the women's uh, league over there. I don't know if you got to see the goal. Kenny. I haven't seen. It. I read about oh, it to be honest with you. It yeah. was it was and like considering on Wednesday night in the Champions League, she she left the stadium in one of those foot braces, a correctional boot, if you will. And uh, and then comes back in. Comes you back might get in. a couple of them yeah, across the course of correctional boots. More players are probably going to get into these correctional boots. If it corrects your boot to strike a ball as well as Katie McCabe struck on uh, on Sunday, I think a lot more players will be signing up for the uh, the correctional boot. For but anyway, left foot all right. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. a cracker, an absolute cracker. And the good so. news is he's fit because obviously your first heard that you thought, oh no, the the games obviously they're not so much the friendly games, but obviously. What's coming down the road in the World Cup? And she be we got a couple of key players, I think. Yeah. And that lady's team, three or four. In that we particular. could do, we can't do without. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's obviously one of them. So yeah, good to see she's back. Yeah. Right then, uh, Kenny. Well, we move on to the uh, the the drama, the the soap opera, if you will. Oh. That is the Premier League, and uh, like thirteen Premier League managers have been sacked this season, and the latest one, the most high profile one, was uh, was Graham Potter. At Chelsea, what's your feelings on that? Did you think uh, the time was right for him to go? Did he deserve it? No, not necessarily. Yeah, it, 
people say, oh, it's been coming, it's been coming. I know he's been under pressure for some time. Uh, uh, results haven't been good. I always felt, even up to a, even a couple of months ago, I always, I always felt, Derek, that he just needed to show the owner something, you know, in terms of performance. Performance levels were improving, that there was something coming together. Um, I think he found himself in a difficult position in terms of the turnover of players yes. uh, coming into the football. That's not easy. People think, oh, what a great situation to be in. The owner's thrown top class. Some of the best young talent in the world. There you go. Off you go. Manage that. You know, what more can I do for you? But it's not easy. Numbers can be an issue with a football club. I've seen that. We've got too many players around the first team squad coming onto the training pitch and getting a sense of, oh, I'm not really involved in this. Or actually getting uh, separated from the main group in terms of uh, training. Now, that's okay if you're separating kids, 17, 18-year-old kids who haven't really had a taste of yeah. it, who'll accept it and get on with it. Just be happy to be part of the group. But when you're separating top-class internationals, big money signings on big ways and saying, look, you six are going to have to uh, train. I haven't got room for you with the main group yeah, today. That's incredible. That, yeah, it? that's yeah. a massive issue. And even within the main group, players will be in the group. As it gets closer to match day, you'll pretty much know the kind of starting team in terms of how the manager's shaping up. And you'll think, well, it looks as if I'm not involved yeah. at the weekend. So you need some pretty good professionals in terms of put that disappointment park it and get behind the team and you know uh, put your kind of sun, you know sunny face on and uh, you know be a kind of good professional in that sense. You don't always get that, so he's had to deal with that. That's not easy. No. A lot of grumpiness, discontent in the dressing room. I think ideally he would have liked more of a drip feed in terms of players. Mm. I think he would have been happy with the group that he got. Now if you can add one or two going forward, happy days. And over the course of the next. 12, 18, 24 months, we'll arrive at a point where you want to be. I think that would have been the kind of builds things organically almost. Uh, that's the impression I get with. 100%. Carter, you, that's what he did at Brighton, wasn't there's, it? There's reports coming out today, uh, you know, the way when a manager gets sacked, then you hear all this, the stories behind the scenes. But one, one of the reports I thought was quite amusing today was the fact, as you mentioned, the sheer number, the sheer volume of that squad that in the, in the data analysis room, players were sitting on the floor because there wasn't enough seats for the players. And, and in the dressing room for training, Three or four of them have to have to have to get stripped in the corridor because it's it's too yeah. packed. Like it's it's a bizarre yeah. situation, you know. Yeah, those things matter. <laughs> I, I didn't get the impression you never know behind the scenes whether he lost the kind of dressing room. People talk about his manner, how he kind of, you know, uh, carries himself. Can that type of personality, top level, elite, elite kind of players? I think that was a little bit unfair. I think that can work if the players understand that you got a good eye for a game. You know, your tactical setup is good, and if they believe that you can take them where they want to be in terms of competing for league titles, Champions League, etc. I think they'll kind of buy in. So I think that's a little bit of a uh, process. So I think for me, it was always time. We'll never know. I feel given time, part of kind of, kind of torn, yeah. torn things around. But yeah, it doesn't surprise me uh, that said. It'll just be very interesting now in terms of how they see it going forward. Will they go with somebody of a similar ilk, kind of young manager, and then give them well, give them more time or will they will they go down a different route and say, right, we need a highly experienced manager uh, in there who can come in and kind of hit the ground one, uh, running with a serious kind of track record of success. That'll be interesting in terms of how the owners see it. And also as a manager, um, like Graham Potter came in and like, did an amazing job at Brighton and his career has just been on this upper trajectory and maybe the job came too soon for him. But also the fact that he went to a club where he doesn't really get to decide which players he brings in. It's the you know the the director of football. He's bringing these players. Right here you go. There you go. There you go. I don't know. That's a system we don't think. But that's can part ever and parcel, Eric. Though isn't there? Wouldn't be too many. Who man? What managers have that sole responsibility in terms of players' acquisitions today? Maybe Guardiola. You could argue. You'd imagine he'd have a pretty strong uh, say Klopp in terms of which well. player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Klopp to a certain even not not so much there. Like that. That's more of a team team decision up uh, there in terms of their uh, uh, recruitment over the past 
couple of years. So I think he accepted that really. I think he knew that Potter when he went when he went uh, went in there. But I don't think he's that type of manager. I think he's, he's the type of manager who would have gone in and said, "Look, yeah, I'm happy with what I've got. If we can add to a great, yeah, I'll have an input. I'll give me opinion. But yeah, th- this is my responsibility to dress the room with the players. I understand." We all have our own different strengths. Let's kind of work together. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, I always got that impression. So I have a li- little bit of um, a sympathy for him. Because like I said, I think the work he done at Brighton was phenomenal, Eric. The level he had Brighton playing. A lot of people talk about getting the most. He gets more out of what he's got. They're overachieving, boom, boom, boom. I don't think he can overachieve personally, Emmy said. You only get the very best collective out of what you have available to you. And the very best managers can, 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 can get close to that on a consistent level and that's not easy but he was doing that at Brighton his last kind of six months uh, at Brighton a year the level they were playing at was phenomenal in terms of players he had at his disposal these weren't top elite uh, football players that he was dealing with so for me he couldn't have done any more in terms of making a pitch for one of those top four jobs and I think potentially another opportunity could have come again depends what he wants to do take take a break or whatever Mm -hmm. But I think he's good enough to come back again. So a little bit of sympathy for him, but it's the nature of the beast. And then we'll move on to the other high-profile second, uh, Brendan Rodgers. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, uh, you know, he's highly respected in the game. And I, personally, I think he's a good manager. Um, it kind of filtered out, fizzled out uh, at last of this season. Um, what's, your, what's your opinions? Do you think it was time for him to go? I can understand why it's gone. Um, if all season, Eric, you've looked at him, particularly in the season, it didn't start well, did I think it started... Uh, the end of last season to be honest and the recruitment in the summer yeah there's a lack of investment there yeah well, lack of there? I think there's issues there in terms of you know financial fair play I, I don't think it's the case of the owner side we haven't got comps in man we're not going right. to give you money to spend I think there'd been a huge significant to a huge outlay uh, the previous couple of years uh, whilst Rogers has been there I think that's why he took the job to be honest with you he's not a, he's not a fool Brendan Rogers. he didn't take that lesser job coming in now there was going to be no money to spend and he was back for the first couple of years there serious investment and they had a certain level of success. It was fifth place, wasn't the first yeah. couple of... And they did win an FA Cup. And, and they won an FA yeah. Cup, yeah. I still feel, though, those first couple of years, and Brendan Roberts, he's no fool, he's referenced that a couple of times, my first successful years here, fifth place, fifth, as if to say it was almost an overachievement. I didn't think it was. I thought both of those seasons there was a chance to grab Champions League football. One of those seasons, I think, was when Liverpool imploded in terms of form. So a window of opportunity presented itself, probably similar to this year in terms of that top four. And they faltered. They really stumbled. Both of those seasons, they really struggled kind of last eight, ten games of the season. Let the opportunity uh, slip. And since then, yeah, it's been a drop-off. Eight position to lead. The FA Cup is obviously a big spike. But yeah, he clearly wasn't happy starting the season. You could tell in his interviews, kind of saying, they're trying to say the right things, but letting it be known at the same time, he wasn't overly happy in yeah, terms of... his hands were tied a little. Yeah, hands yeah. were tied What is what it is. But even no body language sometimes, yeah. but man, that spark seemed to have had gone. Eric, now we got, they found a little bit prior to the World Cup, a little bit of form, put a little bit of distance between themselves and the relegation spots. But uh, post-Air World Cup again, it's gone downward trajectory yeah. again. And if the owners got to a point, you know, you've, you know, you keep your, you know, you keep your finger to the pulse and you listen to people around the place. If they felt as if there was a disconnect between the managers in the dressing room and the manager himself, like hadn't got that kind of four in his belly at this stage of the season to get them out, you could argue it probably was. Uh, the right decision just changed the dynamic a little bit almost to kind of shock the uh, the dressing room uh, you know, yeah, yeah someone like Rogers big personality you know you take him out suddenly the players woof wow yeah. Yeah, yeah you're just hoping to get a reaction a bit you, you know bounce back a Billy wherever you want to call it sometimes just getting rid of the manager not necessarily getting another big one in 
can sometimes kind of uh, shock the dressing room a little bit and get a reaction from them. That's obviously what the owners are hoping. And uh, did you, in your career, Kenny, did you ever play, uh, uh, say, mid-season when a manager was sacked and then another manager was brought in and what the feeling is amongst the squad and training? Yeah. Is that, like that bounce-back ability, it's such a cliche in football, but it's a genuine thing. You see it happen so often that it must be something tangible that, um, you know, players are like, OK, new manager, we've got to impress, we've got to raise our game. Is that, have yeah. you ever experienced that yourself? I've done my best to get a few managers to sack out. <laughs> <laughs> over the years but yeah I didn't suffer I didn't suffer it too much I've got to be honest with you I'm trying to think of my early career obviously uh, Mick McCarthy there I had uh, for a few years Bruce Rick was there initially now uh, Bear, Wimbledon uh, Joe Kinnear left after a couple of years and it's kind of number uh, number two I think it's different kind of when a manager goes and maybe his, his number two comes in right. not so much not so much a shock to the uh, system there the players are very uh, familiar with the number two etc yeah. etc I think generally speaking, it's when worst manager goes to number two, everybody's out the door. And I think the bounce back ability is almost what I speak about. It, it kind of, it's almost, it shocks the players into kind of a reaction. But to kind of sustain that over a longer uh, period of time, the man who comes in, he needs to have certain qualities in terms of good coach, manager, one-to-one rapport with the players, tactical setup to hold. The players need to see all of those fundamentals. Ultimately, the players need to see that. If you're going to maintain that initial kind of bounce yeah. that you're talking about, oh, jeez, the gaffer's gone. Oh, this is mad stuff. Way <laughs> out, out we go, like onto the pitch, crash, bang, wallops up for a few weeks, nick a few points. Yeah. But to kind of sustain that uh, Monday to Friday on the training pitch, you need to see that work and you need to look at the, man, the new manager and his coaching staff and think, yeah, very switched on this. Like, yeah, I like what I'm hearing here. Yeah, I'm, I'm buying into this. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see those uh, seconds, what, what the kind of effect will have on the dressing room but it's not a given it's not a given that if you don't get that bounce initially then very quickly it's the opposite players are like oh no man just gone we stuck haven't in a got there here, yeah. where yeah. are we going now yeah, downward yeah. sport all the negativity from the press you know players hear that gets into their head so that's why it is a gamble yeah. you know there's no guarantee when you make that type of tough decision it can kind of uh, kind of go both ways just on Brendan Rodgers before we uh, before we leave him uh, Kenny um, some people are mentioning in the circles uh, a future Ireland manager could you see that ever happening? And would you be for it? Yeah, yeah I, I suppose I could see it. You could name like a dozen, yeah. 15, like 16, in, in, in all honesty, uh, managers. And yeah, you tick a lot of boxes in terms of uh, track record, experience, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I wouldn't be thinking of those times, to be honest. Like, for the reasons that we said, probably a little bit disrespectful to the present manager, the Irish manager. So... Yeah, maybe that's a conversation down the line. I think there's some, uh, there might be some good options there in terms of uh, players who actually I played with Eric around the time. Lee Cars is doing a great job yeah. in the England set up there, involved under with twenty-one manager under twenty-ones. Yeah. yeah, a lot of good lads out there getting good kind of uh, coaching experience. Jim Goodwin's obviously managing up in Scotland. I've been watching him uh, from a distance. Stephen Reid's been coaching a very good level. Andy Reid's now in at uh, Notts Forest. John O'Shea as well. I, lo- I like the idea of integrating our, our, our ex-players within the coaching set-up. Uh, set and we've done that to a small extent under Stephen. Jo- uh, John, John O'Shea, O'Shea. Yeah. Uh, has obviously come in. I don't like to see what we've seen, a lot of bouncing around in terms of coaches coming in, particularly in the fourth team setup. We've had a couple of examples. People come in the coaching Andy staff Barry. six months. Yeah, yeah like, whoosh, oh, better opportunity. Grass is green, all right, I'm off, lads. So for me, I, I, for me, that's not as easy. That decision is not as easy. Somebody who's got a real kind of emotional attachment to the the country, to the jersey. John O'Shea had mentioned in that respect. That's not as easy. That bounce isn't as easy because yeah. you feel as if you're part of it. It's kind of in your blood. So I was delighted to see uh, Josh get that opportunity from 21 
and step up to the senior international. I'd like to see that from Vea Belt as well. Players come in, uh, where it's 17, 19s, tw- uh, uh, 21s as well, get a bit of experience there, and then maybe the opportunity to step up, work underneath the manager as John O'Shea is now. And who's to say maybe in maybe two or three or four years' time, maybe for me, that would be the natural kind of progression yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of, well, there you go, Josh, you've been around, you know the players, you understand the setup. That'd be the natural uh, progression for me, rather than looking to pluck somebody from the outside, and I'm the start from scratch again, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah building exactly. relationships just, and all yeah, that. Yeah, just constant <clears throat> motion, that type of things. Bringing players into the into this into this setup, giving them good good, having to look at them up close. Yeah. Just because like you're an international player with certain level of experience, you have so many caps or whatever, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got the attributes to coach and to coach at a very high level. So how are you going to know? But how are you going to know that? It's not easy to know when players are coaching at club level in England. If you're in the FAO and you're thinking, really, what do you want to integrate a couple of players here, RX players and stuff? And you're looking from a distance. And until you see people coach on the training pitch on a day-to-day basis, see how they interact with the dressing room, that's when you kind of know, oh, we've got something special yeah, here. Let's yeah. get this fella involved. So bringing them in, kind of young, underage, 17, nineteen, 21s, you know, you have an opportunity to look at them mm-hmm. actually up close. And you might look at them and think, Do you know what? Great player as he was, not much there. Right. That's the way it is. Okay. You know, off you go. But there will be a couple of gems, and if they are, let's use them. Let's use them to our advantage. Uh, right. So we move back. We move back to the Premier League. I want to give you. I'm going to give you one word, and then you can go off on a United or whatever. No, United. No, no, you know you're desperate to talk about. You don't want to talk about Liverpool. Liverpool. United have won the weekend. <laughs> They'd have won yeah. the weekend. No, we were will, talking we about United. Back. I want to talk to you about Ten Hag. Liverpool lost. Liverpool took a beat. You want to talk about Liverpool? What's, what that badness? What that the big to idea the side? with Park Liverpool, it. Kenny? Park <laughs> it. It's uh, like you know. I suppose Klopp uh, throughout his career, he's always been you know, like he's been a huge successful manager. And look, as as he correctly pointed out, a Man United fan, I've looked on enviously at Klopp the last few years, and what an amazing job he's done there. But this year, the wheels seem to have come off a little bit. And people point to his previous reigns as Dortmund manager. They play this high-octane game. And is there a burnout element there? Um, like, what's what's gone wrong with Liverpool this season? Yeah, I know. I, 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 yeah, I think it's simple enough, to be honest with you. It probably traces it back. I've probably spoken about this a couple of times for me. That high-energy uh, game, high-pressing game uh, that you've spoken about, it is possible to do that as long as you have players who have the physical attributes to do that, they've got to be running machines basically, and Liverpool had that for a couple of years. Like physically, you just couldn't outrun Liverpool. Oh, incredible, you know, you couldn't. Yeah, you couldn't bully. No team could bully Liverpool in a football and competition. That was one of their their strengths. They'd physically impose themselves. They'd get after you. They'd pressure high intensity runs, high intensity recovery runs, first minute. Uh, to the last, didn't let you breathe. And that was the basis of their success. So they've come off that. And it hasn't been a choice that they've come off that. It's just individual players just can't play at that level anymore. Just running out of steam a little bit, Kenny. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So you look at Henderson, unfortunately, just drop off in terms of his physical levels. You could trace that back to the start of uh, last season, uh, actually. So you look, for me, it's fundamentally that Liverpool midfield. You can talk about what's happened across the defensive line, drop off there. But for me, it all comes from that uh, central midfield area, the drop off there. And that's had a ripple effect all over the team, particularly defensively. The, the defenders now are getting more exposed. That defensive line yeah. get more exposed than they've ever been. Individually, players are having to work harder, 1v1 situation, defend the edge of their box. And we're seeing the kind of limitations that some of those players have, in particular Trent Alexander-Arnold. 
see how poor he can be at times in terms of his defending. Virgil van Dijk almost, you know, unpenetrable for a period of time there. We've seen a number of mistakes from him. He's been a little bit loose. But all for me comes that central midfield area. No leg. Uh, Henderson's legs drop off. Fabinho's never been the quickest. People say, oh, Fabinho's struggling. He's not getting around the pitch. He's never been able to get around the pitch, Fabinho. But he was prote- protected for a long period of time in that pocket by Henderson. And really, when Alden Manishi and those two number eights, just ferocious yeah. in terms of kind of physicality and speed and energy levels either side of him. Relentless. He was almost like, yeah, he almost like had a like, uh, playing in that pocket for being or just kind of pushing players around him, just kind of reading the game, stepping forward five, ten yards. He was really an interceptor for being on that team. Now he's having to cover bigger distances. He's having to cover 15, 20, 25 yards. And now people are looking and thinking, oh, he's not moving great for being. His legs yeah. have gone. His legs haven't gone. He was always that type of player. He's just having, having to cover more ground now. He's getting more exposed now in terms of a lack of athleticism. So that's the interesting uh, thing for me for Liverpool. If you just say, hey, you're going to rectify that, you go and get two top-class centre midfielders of that ilk yeah. in terms of have that kind of physicality, that, that box-to-box energy, a certain level of technical. But we all know who they are. Yeah. Bellingham's the obvious one. Um, uh, Declan Rice. He's been linked with a couple too many. There was a little bit of chat before he went to Madrid. It looked as if they weren't in the in the market. He made his mind up to go to Real Madrid. You know that type of player. Camavinga is an interesting one. He was another one. You look at people think oh, 100 million, 120. Have Liverpool got that type of money? Well, I think they had 35 million probably a couple of years ago when Camavinga went to Real Madrid. You know that was a little bit under the radar. You look at him now at the performance against Ireland. If you look at him for Real Madrid the last six months to a year. You see the talent that lad. That's the type of play Liverpool need. Yeah, aggressive, physical, box to box, receive the ball under pressure, go and play. Can pretty much an all encompassing central midfield player. So, I think that's fundamentally for me. That's what Liverpool. That's the crux of the whole problem. That's what they have to fix. If they don't fix that, the other stuff that we're talking about in terms of defensively across the line won't resolve itself. And even with the with the the lack of midfield resources they have at the moment, or a fading midfield force that they have at the moment, Kenny, do you think that's what's exposing? Uh, Virgil van Dijk at the moment because like he, he was heavily criticised at home from all the Dutch superstars Van Basten Hullet uh, for his performance against France in the in the 4-0 defeat and I thought it was interesting that he came out with a comment afterwards and he said look I'm tired I'm not a robot and it was an interesting comment coming from someone of his stature yeah. like to say that to yeah. always admit yeah I'm not as good as I used yeah, to be yeah I'm not sure about that yeah for yeah. me some of the mistakes he makes tiredness doesn't come in it's a mental thing for me with Van Dijk almost he has that kind of arrogance that confidence that arrogance and to be fair to me he could back it up and has backed it up yeah. for a, a long period of time but just for me with him he's a little bit loose always has been a little bit loose occasionally when it comes to the rudimentary work of defending the very basics that we talk about always a little bit lo- uh, loose for me the, the knee injury is an interesting one 31 years of age has he got back exactly to the level that he was at previously even a slight drop off you remember Van Dijk at his best absolute Rolls Royce yeah. balls over the top down the side you could give most centre forwards a yard or two he'd make up that ground quickly don't quite see that I'm not saying his legs have gone but don't quite see that rapid acceleration that I've, that I've seen before and you're right the exposure that they're getting that Liverpool high line has always been an interesting one the only reason that succeeded as it did was because of that early pressure that those midfielders and forward players got on the ball higher up the pitch that's why they could take that calculated risk in terms of keeping that high line opposition players in possession hadn't got time to get their head up Eric have a look and play those clever little passes in behind for runners in behind didn't have that time the pressure game quick they had to play sideways or backwards or just hopeful first time balls 
around the corner now because that pressure isn't coming from the Liverpool midfield three in particular opposition players are having time to have a touch have a look up and now players are timing their runs in behind balls are being delivered with quality and that Liverpool high line now has been exposed more than it's ever been so all of those things come in uh, come into play but I don't think it's a case of tearing it all up and, and starting again I still feel as if there's the bones there's the core of a, a core group of players there that you can work with going forward, particularly in forward areas. Yeah, Gakpo coming in. A lot of pressed. talent there, yeah. Diaz coming in. They're all there. Sal is a different kettle of fish. Again, physically, I don't think for me in terms of how he covers ground, can't do as he did in his prime. Yeah. I think there's more of an argument for him and maybe a central area you're kind of going forward to get the best out of him. Probably still Liverpool's best finisher. So all of those other things on the periphery kind of talking points. But the basic fundamental doesn't change. You've got some lovely footballers in there. Harvey Elliott. I'm a big fan of Thiago, a technician, wouldn't be his biggest fan person himself, but technically a very good player. But if you're going to put those players into the, into the Liverpool team, the central area of the pitch, that's a totally different beast. Right. That's a totally different beast to what we've seen from the successful Liverpool team of the past couple of years. And that's that. you're not going to get your heavy metal, heavy rock uh, football play. monsters. Yeah, play, yeah <laughs> playing with those players in that central area yeah. of the pitch. I'm sure Klopp understands that. So, yeah, so a big summer ahead for Liverpool in that respect and even for Klopp himself in terms of I think it was the Brighton game Eric this season I watched they lost badly and I mean badly and they were just like Brighton ran all over them Mm -hmm. absolutely every aspect of the game it was like oh my god and after that game I almost looked at Klopp and it was almost one of those moments he had to take himself away you know, get back home. But when he got back home that night, up into Sleep the attic, yeah. up into the attic, put that little small lamp on in the corner and the attic, <laughs> sit, in a, sit in a rocking chair like Stephen, like a Stephen King novel, <laughs> a novel. And just think about whether he has almost like physically, mentally, the energy, the drive to go and do that kind of, it's like a mini rebuild in that yeah. Liverpool team. And that's not easy yet because he's put that team together, those players, and they've gone to war for him yeah. over the years. And there's a couple of players there now, obviously you're looking at you think, you got to push him aside. You got to tap him on the back. Thanks for what you've done, but we've got to move on. That's not an easy thing well, to do. What, what kind such... of players were you talking about there, Kenny? Like, which players would you move yeah, on? Yeah, well, now? I think oh, players probably players that I've spoken with, like Fabino. I'd yeah. say uh, if you're, you're going to change the setup, and then you're going to maybe a midfield two in there. Fabino again in terms of can you carry a player like that? Lack of athleticism, lack of legs in that central area of the pitch. Very difficult in the Premiership for me to carry a central midfield like that. Georgino is another example for me. I've always looked at. Um, weakness when you haven't got the ball a weakness somebody in centre midfield very kind of one paced you mm-hmm. know what I mean hasn't got that kind of excel- that acceleration that little bit of turbo in there so yeah I'd probably reference Fabinho Henderson's a little bit different I think in terms of personality around the football club still think potentially around the squad you could use him but in terms of that starting 11 for me probably more difficult Alexander-Arnold for me is one I know it's probably not a conversation amongst Liverpool supporters but the last kind of year 18 months Defensively, the amount of mistakes he's making, Eric, the amount of goals he's cost in Liverpool, at some point you have to balance it up and say, hold on, as good as this kid is, as productive as he is in the last tour when he gets into the opposition half, particularly in, in, in terms of assists, you have to balance that up in terms of what he's cost in Liverpool yeah. down the other end of the pitch. And if that tilt has been there in terms of goals created, goals scored, assists, you know, in terms of sloppy errors costing goals, if it's there and suddenly the tilt comes that way, you know, as good as he is and as good a profile, a bigger profile uh, as he is. And the local popular, lad and all that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, as he is. You yeah. have to start asking the question, can we afford to carry, yeah. uh, continually carry this kid? Is the improvement going to come in terms of the defensive side of his game? And we haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. We can see the basic mistakes, the fundamentals that are going wrong. And they're actually, it's some of the easiest things to fix. 
from a coaching point of view, you look at a player, positional sense, decisions that he's making, defending uh, his, his back post, they're the kind of fundamentals mm-hmm. to defending as a fullback. You learn really yeah. as a young age, but even later on, you can add that as long as there's a, there's a degree of football and intelligence there and you're actually willing to learn and you actually knuckle down. I want to improve. Defensive tournament has to improve. I'm going to focus on this and really, you know, really concentrate on it and make that improvement in my game. I'm not too sure he's got that, Alexander. I look at him sometimes and I think his attitude is a little, well, I am what I am. Yeah. I'm an attack minded. There's, there's more to defending than defending, which is, <laughs> which is a bizarre kind yeah. of Yeah. So I, I just find that very, and it's a shame really. And I find it frustrating. Somebody as good as that and the adjustments that he has to make are the easiest things. If he was the greatest defender in the world and he, yeah, he said, right, can we add a little bit in terms of, can he, can we work on those 60 yards accurate diagonal balls that he hits or those crosses whipped into the back? That's not easy. No. That's not easy to find in your game at, at his age. The other part is actually the easiest one in terms of... Positional well, sense. Yeah, and all don't that. be 15 yards yeah. away from your centre half. Actually, be, be half that distance, uh, seven yards. Ball over the top, you can get around uh, and recover. You know, those type of things. Went to step forward, step back, 1v1 against an opposition player. Where are you looking to show him? You know, you're going to look at the show him on the inside. You know, if you got cover on your inside, you're showing him into traffic. If you're not, just show him the line. Even if he beats you for pace, we can defend the cross. All the basic stuff, defending your back post. You don't have to win every header. Make sure your man doesn't physically impose you. Stand him. on his toes, yeah. 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 Knock him off balance. Do I just physically impose yourself on that part of the penalty box? Yeah, so all of that. So that's I've gone on a bit of a rant there, Trent alexander But you mentioned a point about Klopp if he wants to do this rebuild there's some difficult decisions yeah. there's an obvious loyalty and I understand that a very good man-to-man management he's tight with that dress room there's a bit of proper love in there isn't it with yeah, his players yeah. and that's why they've had the success they've had but there comes a point when that drop-off comes that you've got to make those decisions interesting if he feels he's the man to do that and um, you know kind of you know, manage that kind of rebuild at the at the football club. I'm going to move on now because uh, you said uh, I wouldn't mention, but I'm going to mention it. Manchester United, uh, Ten Hag. Uh, since Man United won the Carabao Cup final, they've played three matches. They haven't scored a goal. They've suffered a seven nil defeat, a two nil defeat to Newcastle, a nil all draw home to Southampton. Are people too quick to praise Ten Hag and what he's done at Manchester United this season so far? Yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as to say that. I think in terms of the issues that he had started the season, in terms of the dressing room, Cristiano Ronaldo, we've all kind of been there, the poor start to the season, all the noise and negativity. I think he's done very well to kind of manage that, get the whole dressing room kind of back on side. And up to a point, probably a couple of months ago, like you said, playing at a very good level. Speak about managing getting the best out of the, the group collectively. You could probably argue up until a couple of uh, months ago, maybe six weeks, so that was the case in terms of consistency. It wasn't perfect, like, you know what I mean? But in terms of atmosphere inside the, the dressing room pulling the whole thing together a bit of a tactical uh, there seemed to be an identity about the way yeah, they were playing some fixed as well. patterns in terms of yeah that was all good so no I think he deserves a huge amount of credit for that but yeah a dollop of realism as well because there was a bit of chit chat at some point during that run Ooh, probably from the likes of yourself as well Eric <laughs> no never oh see you're only three points ahead of us oh, Arsenal drop oh who know there was a moment or two in the season Did where you kind of going could we could we into that I wasn't convinced but I was like oh my god but look at the table we actually aren't that yeah, far yeah. behind but then you know the wheels came off no I never bought into that to be honest with you just, they just weren't good enough in terms the drop off was never going to come from City and Arsenal to the extent of opening the door uh, for United they're still short for me in certain areas of the pitch Casemiro hasn't helped probably exposed that weakness yeah. again in that central end, I thought it was a loose performance Sunday. 
from United. I was watching them first half, Eric, and the amount of kind of in-game changes which Ten Hag made. Started with Rashford up front, Fernandes on the left, like Rashford down the middle. Not such a big fan of Fernandes off the left, to be honest with you. A couple of, couple of balls early on down the side. Uh, same, um, I think it was... Uh, Leghorst? Yeah, it was Dallow. It was St. Maxim pulled right. Dallow up the pitch. Balls down the side for Rashford. 1v1 against Cher. Thought, oh, yeah, this is this is a way in. And I think Rashford actually fancied his chances there. He thought, yeah, get enough balls down this side. up. Fancied me chances 1v1 against him. Then 25 minutes in, there was a shift. Rashford found himself out on the left. Fernandez back into his number 10 role. I saw McTominay coming into the 10 role for 10 minutes before halftime. Yeah. Almost as if he'd been told to get on the feet of Guimaraes in there and stop him, him affecting the game. Half times changes again. McTominay goes back to that deep line number six for the start of the second half. Substitutions come up, all of those things. And then to top it off, 10 minutes from the end, this, the substitution board comes up. I've never seen the likes of it. You're two centre-halves. I... Two centre-halves dragged. And I'm telling you now, Eric, nobody likes coming off the pitch, right? Yeah. But as a centre-half in particular, something about that centre-half position when you're dragged, it's humiliation. You yeah. almost feel it's a humiliation. But more so than that, I couldn't understand it. Uh, I was I baffled. Mean, Martinez didn't look happy. Martin <laughs> wouldn't happy. He's been over to Panama and Argentina, but yeah. that's part and parcel. He's used to it. Yeah. These are seasoned players, international uh, jet sets. But Varane, for me, was the, was the big one. Now, no uh, international football. No. You know, you would have had all of that uh, break in terms of lead up to the game. But you know, you're still kind of technically in the game yeah. at that point. You're taking off your best header of the ball. And it was a bit of a struggle for them anyway in terms of set piece, in terms of Newcastle's height. Huge amount of height in that Newcastle I took team. I forgot McTominay as well, another tall lad. So we were exposed like, for yeah, set so pieces. Yeah, so I'm not going to jump all over yeah. that. Oh, it's a joke. The manager's got to go. <laughs> well, what the hell is he thinking? Because his in-game manager has been very good up until that. Not yeah. all the substitutes have made an impact. Blah, blah, boom. But that for me was a little bit of a mess. I'd say mm-hmm. it was a bit of a mess. Yeah, just in terms of looking at the team, what exactly? Probably too much tinkering. And I think when you do that, sometimes the players themselves are Gaffer, Jesus Christ. Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. You know, get, and Rashford to me looked like a player fed up right. by the end of that game. Yeah. It was poor game from him. He was kicking, knocking people over. His chin was down. Mm-hmm. Almost like, His body really fancied it there yeah, early on. Yeah. Gaffer, you throw me out there. You've isolated him. I'm on the periphery, that type of thing. So in isolation, it wasn't great. But you're right. They're on a bit of a downward spiral and they got a job on because it hasn't surprised me. Newcastle have found their mojo and uh, Spurs as well. Although you can't trust them in terms of feast or famine when you're going to get from them. If they can find a little bit, Conte going, bounce back a bit, whatever it is, a bit of a bounce in the dressing room. If they can find something between now and the end of the season, it's going to be a proper fight on for Manchester United. But that was a given probably six weeks ago, Eric. Manchester United so, but must have been the chit-chat. Not a given, but most maybe neutral people looking at it and giving United that third spot. Yeah. Champions League, pretty much, wasn't it? Yeah. Off the much. back of that run. And yeah. now all of a sudden, it's, they're right back in it. Yeah, right and it could, be, it. it could be Europa League football again. I want to ask you about uh, Bruno Fernandes, uh, Kenny. Um, you know, obviously, uh, uh, most United fans would, would hold him up there saying he's been like a brilliant signing for us. But I suppose this season, um, his antics on the pitch have come to the fore. He's, you know... He's seen as this player who throws his arms up, he's moaning, he's giving out, he's in the referee's <laughs> face. And uh, what, what's your what's your opinion on Bruno Fernandes? Do you think he's an important part of the United machine, or, what, or, what, or what, where do you stand on him? Yeah, I, I don't mind the moaning thing uh, to a point, but again, as long as you could spoke about kind of Van Dijk, as long as you can back it up, as long as you can back it up in terms of performance. I think the lads generally will suffer that. I've, I've played with lads like moaners. I, I was quite drawn to it. Can't have too many of them. I didn't mind one or two name moaners. Us, name us one or two moaners. I couldn't name them. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to name them. 
But uh, I, I like them to be honest. That bit of whinge, always having a whinge and a moan of trying, oh, gaffer, this is rubbish, this and that. I, I quite am quite buzzed off it to be honest with you. But you can't have too many of them. Right. Can't have can't have a cabal of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they can't be influencing the dressing room uh, too much, yeah. you know what I mean? So uh Fernandez, I don't mind that side again as long as he can back it up. So I think that's where the issue comes. When he first came to United, his stats unbelievable. That first six months, a year and a half, one of goals, maybe seventeen, like ah, seventeen, eighteen goals yeah. of stats. Yeah. Absolutely phenomenal. So his stats is numbers. We all talk about the numbers, don't we? Numbers alone, yeah. this lad's gotta play. I don't think that argument is as uh, strong nowadays in terms of uh, Fernandez plays. Right. Like he's he's your automatic starter. I don't see that. And I think when Ericsson comes back into the yes. team, it's going to be more of an issue. Because I'm not too sure United can carry both of those players in that kind of central midfield area. Ericsson and uh, Fernandez with Casemiro alongside him. A little bit what I spoke about before, that kind of real physical kind of physicality in that central area of the pitch, running kind of machines. They don't all fall into that category. Casemiro gives it to you a little bit. Ericsson doesn't ball playing centre midfielder. I think for me going forward, it's going to be a choice between Ericsson and Fernandez uh, in the in the team, possibly in that number ten position. I think United at their best with their flyers. Take your pick down the sides, whether it's Rashford, uh, Sancho, Garnacho. Anthony's got to find a little bit more. Don't get me wrong, but that for me is natural balance down the side. Centre forward is going to come in in the, in the summer. We know that. Then you're for me, you're talking about probably a num- one number 10 and two central midfield players where they probably have to reinvest again. So actually, Fernandez for me has to do a little bit more. Again, Sunday, if you hadn't, know, hadn't seen Manchester United play before as a team and you'd parked up and watched that game, said, have a look at United's number 10. What, no, I don't know what number he, he wears. Tell me what position he's playing and watch the whole game. You'd literally been scratching your head at the end of it. He's so loose sometimes in time when United have possession deep midfield, out the wing, full back positions, getting the ball. And I like that to an extent, Derek. Take, takes responsibility, wants to get on the ball and kind of make things happen. But for me, he's kind of really loose in terms of how he operates. And for me, you've almost got to play him as that 10 behind the front striker and protect him a little bit. It's not as if he doesn't work hard enough, but he's a bit like headless chicken out of possession of the football. I still don't trust him when you haven't got the ball. Right. I like the qualities he has in possession, but for me, he actually has to do a little bit more in terms of assists and goals going forward. So for me, his future probably is behind the central striker with two kind of top-class midfielders behind them. Probably they got one of them in Casemiro. I think they have to get another one. And if they do get another one in that central midfield area, then for me, the conversation is going to be about Ericsson or Fernandez, who plays in that number ten position behind that top class, you know, upperly mobile striker. Yeah, I think Ericsson has been a massive loss. To them. I think uh, before he was injured, he was second highest for assists in in the Premier League. You know, uh, for 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 a player who's you know, we also what happened to him in the tournament that yeah. time, and he came. But back he gives Bremen. you, but he gives you, he gives you an element of control. So he that does. game Newcastle, he gives you an element of control. He can get McTominay, Sabitzer. So they're not ball players. No. They're not quarterbacks going to get on the ball, lend to get it back, and kind of dictate the tempo their forward attacking midfielders want to get forward in advanced areas of the pitch Ericsson will drop in there get on the ball he controls things take the ball away from the opposition even if you're not hurting teams with the ball so that's important he gives you that but you can't tell me Christian Ericsson's a big asset to Manchester United our possession in that central midfield area yeah. when teams are putting the pressure you on mean, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean when he's got yeah. to get close to make it crunch and tackle physically impose himself or track an opposition midfield runner towards the yards into the 
penalty box. That's not his first. That's what I'm talking about. Ericsson is an orthodox number six alongside Casemiro. It makes me uneasy. Maybe that's me, my kind of mindset. But in that in the Premier League, I don't like to see that. Ericsson is a 10. Ericsson in a kind of midfield three, right side at eight. Maybe. So that's the interesting thing for me going forward. How kind of Ten Hag sees it, where he feels he needs to strengthen. But he certainly needs to strengthen because there's no guarantee this current crop of Manchester United players is even going to get Champions League football by the end of the season for the reasons that we've said. So to make that next big step up in terms of competing with Manchester City and certainly Arsenal look as if they're going to stay the course over the next two or three years. That's that's a that's a significant step, Eric, in, in terms of Manchester United. Just on that, uh, uh, Kenny, uh, the 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 title race, uh, Arsenal and City, and uh, I'm looking at Arsenal all season, and the way I'm looking at Arsenal this season is is the way I looked at Leicester that time when they won the league. Going, eventually they're going to falter. Eventually, but they don't. They do like they've had a couple of little wobbles, but yeah. they just seem to come back, and there seems to be a real togetherness, a, a winning mentality. When you look at uh, Arteta, I, I praise the Arsenal board for giving them the time because it's the first season they finished eighth mm. and there was a little bit of descent around the ground. But he has come in and he's created this this team ethic, this squad who have all bought into what he's saying. They're playing fantastic football and they look full of confidence. And like, I mean, I, I, I would I would confidently predict now, I think I think Arsenal are going to win the league. I genuinely do. As good as City are and, 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 yeah. and in richer vein of form they are at the moment, I still think Arsenal will have too much at the end because the gap that's there already. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's even more, uh, it's, a, it's a good uh, parallel obviously with Leicester, but Le- Leicester's done a totally different way. If you remember Leicester, 4-4-2, deep defensive block, you know what I mean? Inviting pressure, inviting teams onto them and just hitting them counter-attack. Vardy's pace when he was at his very uh, best up there. Kante, talking about centre midfielders, yeah. do everything like running machines in there, drink war alongside him, never got ahead of the ball, sat in there. So that's how, how they done it. But you're right in terms of the chit-chat. Oh, it's only a matter of time and they didn't. They stead the course, tight dressing room, strong mentality. This Arsenal team is uh, totally different. Want to get on the ball, want to dominate the ball, want to kind of press high, get up to the halfway line. Wonderful combinations, individual plates, absolutely phenomenal. And you're right, that little drop-off did coincide. It was always key players for Arsenal for me in terms of probably at Christmas you looked at them and thought, just two or three days, you don't want to be without. Partey mm-hmm. was one of them, maybe Saliba, Bukayo Saka maybe. Odegaard. Car- yeah. as well. Odegaard to a point, although yeah. Saka could very easily come in there. Smith Rowe can play in that kind of number 10. So I think they had options there as well as he's played Odegaard, you're right. So that wobble, Partey comes out of the team, whoa, wobble. They go to Leicester, win their late, really open game. Could have got done there, didn't. Go to Leicester and win 1-0. Not at their best again, a really poor Leicester team that day. But got through it. And yeah, you're right, have found their mojo again. And I still reference the, the defeat to Sport Lisbon. I was watching the game that night, Eric. Yeah. And it was going to extra time, that game. And I was looking at it. Now, the argument's an interesting one. Is it best to stay European competition. If you're competing for the title, best to stay in or best to come out kind of less games. No right or wrong. You can argue either way. One can complement the other. Staying deep into the competition, particularly kind of Champions League, Europa or whatever. That kind of buzz factor, winning games. You can take that into your league games. Everybody's on and up. But I think, I I got a sense that night watching Arsenal, I felt, you know what? Would be the worst thing. Right. Yeah, you go out tonight. For me, good feeling told me this is going to benefit Arsenal. Get out of that uh, competition, that Europa League, and then just pure focus week to week on those league games coming down the road. In and terms no tours of recovery, yeah, yeah, no yeah. tours in terms. For me, that's the best thing that could have happened to Arsenal, and I'll think they'll reap the benefits. And likewise, City, the Bayern Munich games coming up, 
they'll have to kind of uh, Guardiola will have to kind of manage that situation, particularly if they get through it. If they don't get through it, the massive disappointment. You can imagine that this psychologically, if they don't get through that tie over over two legs, which isn't a given, mm-hmm. with Tuchel coming in with his record against Guardiola as well. So yeah, I think I agree with you. I think Arsenal are a good place, and I I think Arsenal will win it. Uh, the atmosphere. You watch their games at the moment, Eric. You're watching their games at, at home. The place is it's, it's, up. It's, it's on wheels, isn't it? Yeah, Rick. Yeah. And I'm watching it on the telly in the studio somewhere, and it's literally because for many seasons out it was the called the library. It was so quiet yeah. since moving and from hybrid to the new stadium. They called and it I'm a library. Talking to people yeah. who've gone over there of late and watching games, and they're saying, "Oh my god!" Even there, like you, you wouldn't believe it. The yeah. place is up. Playing and that, and they're feeding off that. The mm-hmm. players, you can you can sense, it and you're right. The manager, the players, the dressing room, the crowd, they're all in it together. They're all kind of energized. So I agree with you. Yeah, they wouldn't want to be without those maybe couple of players that we've mentioned ideally between now and the end of the season. But the fact they haven't got that schedule in terms of games, the likelihood is they will be able to keep those players uh, fit in key areas of the pitch. So for me, that still gives them the slight advantage over overseas. And Guardiola, you mentioned him there, he's obviously the, the, the hoping to win the Premier League. But I think earlier in the season, I think he'll always be judged on the fact that they can win the Champions League. Um, would you give City uh, a good hope uh, of winning oh, the Champions League? Good hope. It, but look, considering who they're playing. A oh, big hope. Yeah. Uh, this, isn't a, this isn't a boring uh, team that would frighten you uh, to death. The talented side, don't get me wrong, some really uh, sharp operators. But, you know, Chopa Moting is my, my, my roll up. Uh, at the Etihad this week, you know what I mean. He's not going to put the fear to death. I know he's had a good season, saying decent season, in terms of goals. What a career he's had yeah. from Stoke to Paris Saint Germain to Bayern Munich. Yeah, Who's his agent? What a story! Yeah, what a story. <laughs> but he's doing it to be fair to him. Now, you yeah. say he's doing the Bundesliga in a team which is going to dominate to a point. Look, it's a talented Bayern Munich team. I think the biggest threat to City is the manager, right? Tuchel coming in. Absolutely massive fan of Tuchel in terms of. Remember the job he done at Chelsea, coming yeah. in mid-season, boom, straight away. Champions Within League almost months. like, yeah, <laughs> Champions League done that season. But very quickly, boom, 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 coming in, players set up, off we go. You could see him having that type of effect at Bayern Munich. He knows that Manchester City team so well, what it takes to beat him. Has some success at Chelsea. So he, I think he's the biggest danger. But see, for me, they'll never get a better chance. Haaland on the pitch, we're a bit of a given. It looks as if he's going to play. Gives them that real cutting edge with they, which they've needed in that last tour of the pitch. Got to cut, cut out the silly individual errors with, defensively, which cost them last season. A key moment, Laporte, in particular, that semi-finals, uh, Diaz against Real Madrid. All that kind of silly stuff. You know, just smarten up a little bit in terms of your defending. Don't overcommit, leave yourself open, kind of counter-attack, etc. There's a bit of pace in this Bayern Munich team as well. So be smart that side of the game and just leave it to those forward-attacking players. Harland, Grealish, I know your mate Delaney is not a big fan of Jack Grealish, but I'd be the opposite. I'm all in. I'm he all in behind Jack. On, 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 at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, I like him. I like for the re- uh, he's unbelievable qualities for me. Mares, the other side as well. So there you go. Uh, De Bruyne, Gundogan, that's from five for me. Can really hurt uh, Bayern Munich. Right. Just be smart at the other end. You're trying to get rid of me. I'll shut no, up. Uh, do you know what? No Kenny, I'm very Say conscious no. of the How fact rude. that very conscious <laughs> of the fact that your parking is up now in a few minutes, <laughs> and I don't want to get fined or clamped because uh, that that'd be adding onto your fee. Um, but uh, listen, I could talk to you all day, Kenny Huntingham. It's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to chat to you and. Uh, and I hope we get to do it again some other time. Probably a, uh, day, probably a Daily Mount Park at yes. some stage this we'll season. Get in, we'll have a drink d- down there, Kenny. Uh, that'd be brilliant. So, uh, 
Uh, that's all for me, Eric Lawler, with the, the House of Football podcast with Sports Joe and William Hill. Massive thanks to my guest, Kenny Cunningham. And we'll be back to you again next week. Thank you very much for joining us. You've been listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe and William Hill. 